Julia Gray is a writer and musician. She studied classics at UCL and has an MA in creative writing from Birkbeck College. Among her many artistic achievements are two solo albums, I Am Not The Night, released in 2008, and Robber Bride, which was supported by the Arts Council and released in 2014. Julia's debut novel, The Other Life, was published by Anderson Press in 2016, and this was followed by Little Liars in 2018. In fact, Julia released an EP to go with that book uh, called Songs for Nora Tobias. Her latest novel, I Ada, is going to be published in September 2020. It's about the life and times of Ada Lovelace, the fiercely intelligent daughter of Lord Byron and Annabella Milbank, who forged a path in mathematics which led to a collaboration with Charles Babbage. It's also a story about the age in which Ada lived and about freedom and the imagination. Welcome to In the Reading Corner, Julia. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to talk to you about this wonderful novel. <laughs> uh, but I think we have to begin by you telling us what interested you in the life of Ada Lovelace. How did it all begin? It's a great question. So Ada Lovelace was just a name in the back of my mind. I knew she was famous and I think I knew that she had been a mathematician and to my great shame I think I didn't know anything more about her because now there's so many picture books and biographies sort of especially for sort of younger readers dedicated to her but when I was a child I don't think that there were. So it was not until about three years ago that I had been asked to do some research into another project, actually picture books for younger readers. Um, and I was thinking about values and I was trying to find historical figures that embodied values of, say, persistence or adaptability. And I, in the process of doing the research, I came across Ada Lovelace and I thought, I can't believe that I didn't really know very much about this extraordinary person who had this extraordinary family set up with this father, Lord Byron, who was a completely absent father. Uh, Annabella left him when Ada was nearly six weeks old. She never knew him. Um, but he was a really bona fide celebrity, one of the first of its kind. And she grew up in his shadow the shadow of someone who was notorious as well as famous and yet you know she managed before her death at the age of 36 to achieve this extraordinary thing where she managed to foresee the modern computer and um, so it was really three years ago that I started reading about her and thinking what a person um, and then it was actually my editor Chloe Sacker who suggested that I write about her and at first, my response was, no, I, I really can't because, you know, how can I give myself permission to do this? But because I had been so struck by her story, the more I thought about it, the more I thought, you know what, this is a challenge that I would like to accept. So that's where it all began. So not only did you accept the challenge, but you also chose to write about her in the first person. So you must have developed much more confidence in the permission to write about her, if you like. Uh, did that come from research? It was also Chloe who thought that I would write in the first person because my other two YA novels 
the other life and little liar are written in the first person my first thought was no not necessarily the question of permission is a, is a very good one how can you give yourself permission to write in the first person when surely the third person is a more objective a more sort of subtle way of getting into someone's thoughts but the first person is more direct and I think I wanted so much to try and explore her thoughts her feelings this is you know she's so cerebral there's so much going on in her head I think because I'd given myself permission to write it I then gave myself the add-on permission of writing in the first person and the more I read particularly things that were in the first person like letters and diaries the more I felt that I had the confidence to do it I do want to come back to some of those sources and the letters uh, in a little while if we can. But as you've said, she was the daughter of extraordinary parents. Uh, Both of them loom large in the novel. What did you learn about Ada's mother? Well, I knew nothing about Ada's mother to begin with. So the first thing I learned was that she, in her own right, was this very accomplished mathematician. Um, Then I had this excellent double biography by Miranda Seymour called In Byron's Wake and it really is a biography of both Ada and Annabella kind of giving almost equal weighting to them both so I think by the time I'd finished my research I knew as much about Annabella as I did about Ada and of course Annabella you know she lived until she was I think 67 so she you know her life was was much longer she was a reformer of she was passionate about education about society I think she had a lot more kind of civic mindedness than her daughter they're very very different in terms of their character Annabella really genuinely wanted to do good both for individuals and sort of for society at large and her particular passion was education and when Ada was a teenager Annabella became very devoted to the cause of setting up her own school and of course we we see that in part two of I Ada what happens when Annabella sets up her first sort of academy so I think I learned as much about Ada's mother as I did about Ada and I enjoyed that very much really interesting to hear you say that because I certainly felt they both came across as very strong characters in this novel. In fact, Ada's surrounded by a lot of strong women. Um, Her tutors are extraordinarily sharp and sensitive and it really made me challenge my my own thinking as I was reading this about the women of the age. Yes, well, I mean, not only does Ada have Annabella, who is driving her education forward almost with too much structure, I think, for someone as as free-spirited as Ada. But that does sort of engender quite interesting conflicts for her. Um, But then she has these governesses uh, who come to her from a very early age. And Charlotte's stamp was really important because she encouraged Ada's writing. Um, And she was, I think, a rather sort of loving figure. Then there's Mary Montgomery, who is a friend of Annabella's. um, And Mary is an invalid, but she's very, she acts as Ada's chaperone. Ada couldn't, could never have gone around London unchaperoned. So Mary takes her to lectures by Michael Faraday. She takes her to see scientific exhibits. And so this is someone that's really kind of pushing Ada to ask questions about the world around her and technological developments. And then Ada meets Mary Somerville, who is incredibly important in 
sort of tutoring her and helping her to develop her friendship with Charles Babbage. And I loved researching these very strong women characters that influence Ada. Um, but they are, I think, fairly atypical, as you say. I mean, the, very much the the majority of girls did not have the opportunities that Ada had to be educated in such a way. I think she was very lucky. Lucky in that sense, but her relationship with her mother is quite tumultuous and certainly there's a lot of tension there. What was the source of that tension? Were you able to discover that? It's very interesting because, of course, as you're writing, there's this tension between not wanting to fictionalise and also having to fictionalise because there are things that end up on the page that can't be found in letters or biographies or old texts. And actually, Lady Byron pruned um, and edited the family archive of letters very, very carefully. So a lot of the kind of juicy relationship stuff is probably long gone. But I think it's fair to assume that Lady Byron just couldn't bear the thought of Ada becoming too much like Lord Byron. She didn't want her to be a poet. She didn't want her to be, to, to do outrageous things like her father had done. You know, his, his morals were, were not something that the age could ever have approved of. You know, they, 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 their marriage had collapsed because of it, because of his relationship with his sister, because of all his other proclivities. So I think she was so desperate to make sure that Ada did not turn out like him, that she really steered her daughter towards things that she felt would contain her sort of intellectually, such as mathematics. And I think that's where the tension really came from. I mean, what I really appreciated in your writing was that you still made it nuanced it wasn't just about that tension we saw insights of different aspects of the relationship as well um, and I, I love those exchanges and you've offered to read a little bit to us perhaps you could set it up and tell us um, where this comes from in the novel so this is about halfway through the novel um, and this is where Ada has been persuaded by her mother that you know she's got to be presented at court you know we have to find you a husband. Ada isn't really sure but also she understands that this is very much the convention and as you say you know she loved she loved her mother it wasn't just out and out teenage rebellion the whole time she did want to please her and this is a scene um, in which Annabella is lecturing Ada about the right kinds of people to meet and the wrong kinds. There is one kind of person, incidentally, who appears undeterred by malicious whispers, and that is a breed of gentlemen known as the fortune hunter. Mama holds forth on the subject one morning over breakfast, cautioning me to steer well clear of these objectionable types. I don't see how I am to avoid such people, I say. You presented me at court. You wanted me to have suitors. Yes, yes, says Mama, tearing impatiently at a bread roll with her small teeth. She chews, swallows, and goes on. Suitors, yes. Fortune hunters, no. How on earth is anyone to tell the difference? At this, Mama looks vague and mutters something about a particular gleam in the eye. My point is really this, she continues, liberally buttering another roll. If you are a young woman of means, you need to marry a man of wealth so that you can be sure you are not being married for the sake of your money. What if he has money but wants more? Ada, you are being extremely tiresome, says my mother. You simply have to make the correct judgment, that is all. Is this how you felt when you were doing your London seasons, I venture? Was this a concern of your parents too? 
We are not talking of me, says my mother in a conversation-closing tone of voice. Rather rashly, I decide to press the point. How did my father appear when first you met him? There is no more butter to spread. Mama lays the butter knife down so that it bisects the dish. I wait for her to change the subject or else to return to hectoring me about fortune hunters and the like. Her hand slips and the knife clatters to the side of the dish. She retrieves it and holds it for a moment, tilting it so that it reflects shards of light. Then she says, Hmm, I don't know that I recall the precise moment of our meeting. The knife tilts again, and for some reason, one that I cannot fathom now and perhaps never will, she appears to change her mind. No, I do remember, she says. It was at Lady Melbourne's at her house in Whitehall. Byron fairly turned the room inside out when he entered. He had a way of doing that, you know, even though he was lame in one leg and had a habit of holding on to the backs of bits of furniture, moving a little like a crab from place to place, not a proud, bold stride into the centre of a room as you might have expected. But he dressed quite exquisitely, and besides, he was famous. Were you in awe of him? I don't know that awe would be the right word. I was intrigued. Yes, that describes it well. We fell into conversation, although I don't remember what we talked about. We met several times afterward and then entered into a correspondence, a long one, of several years. This is more than she has ever told me. Far more. I risk one last question. Did you ever fear that he was a fortune hunter? Mama coughs. A bit of bread has slipped down the wrong way. At once, three solicitor's waiters spring to her assistance, and it is some time before she has recovered enough to speak. Lord Byron, she hisses, wedging her napkin into a starched ball, was never interested in my money. <laughs> That's a great uh, episode. And of course, it brings up something else that uh, this novel is about. It's also about Ada coming to know her father, even though she never met him. And she has to piece together an impression of her father through artifacts and through other people's opinions. Can you tell us a little bit about where she gathers this information from as she kind of moves from childhood into young womanhood? Yes, um, it's a great question. And of course, and it was quite hard for me to get into the mindset of it at first, because information now is just so freely available. But for Ada, as a child, you know, I kept thinking, what does she know? And I've and starting at the beginning, age five, I was like, okay, that's when my book begins at the age of five. I was like, she probably knows his name. She probably knows that he writes poetry. Has she read the poetry? No, definitely not. Because actually I, I know when Annabella gives Ada the poems, and it's not until Ada's about twelve or thirteen. So she just has a name and an image and nothing more. Um, but I think she has questions, and I had to try and shuffle those questions into a logical order and think who would Ada ask because I don't think Annabella will tell her very much and I had to kind of structure it almost as a as a detective novel to try and put those questions in order like how old was I when he left why did I never see him again and what do people tell her do they always tell her the truth I think probably not because she grows up really very sheltered and shielded by her mother and by her mother's friends but one thing that she does find is the portrait of her father by Thomas Phillips because Annabella has this portrait and it's kept hidden behind a green curtain um, and biographers do not agree on when 
they think Ada first saw this portrait. But I, so I, with artistic license, decided that Ada would have, would have tweaked the curtain back when she was sort of about 10. Um, and I think when she does see Byron's portrait, it sort of brings something even more to life for her. Um, and then really, you know, I, this is not an age either where newspapers, I think, are left lying around. But as she becomes a teenager, she you know, she has access to more gossip, more snippets of information, and she kind of puts it together from there. And of course, she is given, as you say, the collection of Byron's poetry. Did you read the poetry yourself? Oh, yes. Although I have to say, my sympathies were very much with Annabella for a, while I was writing the book. I really felt, I felt so desperately sorry for her um, um, and so impressed by her. Uh, what, such an incredibly strong woman to have had a marriage dissolve like that with such kind of public scandal. Um, but yes, I did. I did read his poems and I also read biographies of Byron. I had to because there were things I needed to know that had to be from his point of view. And I also watched the excellent BBC film called Byron that I think is from about 2003 which was incredibly useful you do see Annabella in that and their courtship um, although Ada is just a tiny baby in it. So part of the of the novel is about um, resolving what is probably Annabella's perception about this duality that mathematics is orderly and rational that poetry and the imagination are wild and disordered and if left unchecked could lead to madness how does the novel explore that idea i loved this because i found it so fascinating that there you've got the genes from byron the free thinking metaphorical poets and then you've got annabella with her reforming nature her structure her love of mathematics and these things these things come together in Ada it's almost like Ada had the perfect combination to begin with because she had these two things they're brought together they they coexist within her and it's she finds she does find it hard but she also just finds ways to resolve them quite naturally I think by applying her mathematical understanding and her scientific nature to her incredible free-ranging imagination and that's why when she's about 12 she's able to quite seriously sit down and try and design a machine that can fly because not only can she think of possibilities but she can also think of practicalities so the two things just are married together in Ada um, in a way that they couldn't stay married between Byron and Annabella and then when Ada meets Charles Babbage he realizes that she has just the kind of brain that can be a wonderful counterpart to his own explorations of his um, analytical engine. So, as we said, Ada is a talented mathematician and she, she loves to observe pattern and she is very mm. creative and imaginative. As a musician yourself and also a writer of novels, I wondered whether you could see something of yourself in Ada. That's really interesting because I think as soon as you write anything in the first person, elements of yourself have to creep into it. Um, it's almost why I called the book I Ada, because obviously it's um, a link to the fact that it's written in the first person, but also because it's, it's got something of me in it. When I started researching and thinking about Ada, I was very struck by my memories of my grandfather, who was a composer and was obsessed maybe that it's too strong a word but he loved Lord Byron um he was a romantic 
composer and he he managed to get married eight times um my grandmother was wife number two and he loved Byron so much that he actually set some of Byron's verses to music and so I suppose I was thinking that in my own life I had I did have memories of of a Byronic figure in my grandfather um I also enjoyed maths when I was a child um and I have a harp although I can't play it as well as Ada so every time Ada writes or speaks about learning whether it's languages or mathematics or music I think I was thinking about how I would have thought at the same age fascinating you've already mentioned that there are lots of references throughout the novel to correspondences and she does seem to be a great correspondent to former tutors etc was it easy for you to access those sources and did you make any interesting discoveries yes there is an enormous archive called the Lovelace Byron Papers. It's in the Bodleian Library in Oxford. And with incredible care, you lift out these ancient slips of paper. Um, But the first time that I held a letter from Byron to Annabella in my hands, I remember it feeling quite electrifying. It came to life for me in a way that it could never have done just from reading a transcript of that letter in a book. So there was that. There was, I think, even little notebooks of Ada's, Annabella's letters to Byron, Byron's letters to Annabella. Just go, I mean, trying to read the writing because it's pretty hard. Um, but sitting there sort of deciphering these letters um, unlocked it hugely for me, just the process of research. Um, one of the things that um, was super useful, because I love the detail of what people ate and what people wore and what houses were like and because so many of the houses in Iada no longer exist you can't go there um, and see them I managed to find an inventory of every single item of furniture in Kirkby Mallory which is the place where Ada grows up until she's about sort of nine and it was wonderful because it meant that I could sort of use this information even if it was only slightly but feel like this is actually based on total fact and I loved that. Now the story is a personal one on one level but also as I was reading it it felt to me very much like a story of the age and it was a period of immense change. I wondered whether the period itself held any fascination for you. Oh yes I mean it oddly enough um I have a son who's obsessed with steam railways. So when, when um, Ada is realising herself that here she is living in this age of ideas and ra- rapid technological change and advancement, um, yeah, I found myself feeling quite envious of it, actually, and thinking it is, it is a fascinating period because everything is changing so quickly. You know, Babbage, Herschel... William Hewell, you've got these incredible scientists who are, you know, you've got the Humphrey Davy people suddenly very quickly finding new ways to improve how people live, what they do, how they communicate, transport. There, it is very, very exciting. Interesting. So in my introduction, I suggested that this was a novel that deals with the themes of freedom and constraint. Um, I wondered if those were themes that you saw in the book or are there other themes that are important to you? Definitely freedom, intellectual freedom and physical freedom up to a point. And I suppose emotional freedom. And 
I think I did see it in terms of the first part of the book is Ada's brain kind of coming into its own and and then she gets very very ill and is bedbound and then the second section is is less about her brain and far more about her sort of sensory perceptions of the world and her relationship with her tutor and her sort of discovering her own sexuality and of course there's Annabella very much trying to make sure that this doesn't happen um so Ada does does talk a lot about freedom and wonders why her mother thinks she has the right to try and control her so much and then of course there's the sort of societal freedom and constraints so there's Annabella insisting that Ada must find a husband and not just any husband but a rich husband with a title it's got to be an old title so there's all of those kind of societal constraints um And the book actually really starts with Ada going to see a portrait of herself um, at the academy and looking at this portrait and then sort of stomping off for a walk and thinking, who am I meant to be? So I think, you know, you're quite right. The whole novel is exploring this idea of expectation and maybe deciding for yourself whether you can decide for yourself what it is that you really want to do. In terms of other themes, imagination was was key and then I think it is a novel of feels a little bit like a coming-of-age novel and a novel of discovery she's trying to she's trying to understand who she is partly through where she came from um she wants to know what happened uh, between her parents and you know she at the end of the book she does she does find out quite a lot of the answers to her questions and it those answers allow her to resolve in part her relationship with her mother so I think there is all that going on in it too and I'm supposing in a way that it's that coming of age theme that cites it in the publishing world in the young adult uh, section if you like but I would want to stress to our listeners that this really is a novel for anybody And I, as an adult, (laughs) certainly got a great deal from it. So I would hope that it will find a wider readership as well. Um, You wrote an EP for Little Liars. So I want to ask you whether we can expect any music to accompany I, Ada. (laughs) You're right. I did write an EP for Little Liar because I thought I can't be a musician and a writer and not try and fuse these two sort of disciplines together. Um, when I was writing I Ada, I, sometimes music did go through my head. Um, I don't see it as an album um, of sort of singer-songwriter material, though I see it much more as a kind of opera, um, modern opera. So watch this space. Maybe I'll find a moment, to, <laughs> long moment to sit down and, and explore it. Um, it would be very tempting. And who knows, there may be some funders out there who listen to this and read the novel and think what a great idea that would be too that would be fantastic wouldn't it it would be amazing Uh, so one last question Julia I understand that you've been uh, making a podcast called on the radar very cleverly named and that it's about conversations with extraordinary women in science what a great idea can you tell us something about that it was um, Anderson Press, who's my lovely publisher, came up with um, this idea to do a podcast series to accompany the book. Because, of course, 
ADA is really synonymous with celebrating the achievements of women in science and technology, engineering and mathematics. And that's why we have ADA Lovelace Day in October. So it felt like a really good fit to do a series of interviews talking to women who have had or are still having very exciting um, careers in the field of science. So I got a very interesting collection of wonderful women all of whom I loved talking to so I've done five interviews um, with a cardiologist a neurologist a neuroscientist an immunologist and a rheumatologist um, and we were supposed to have recorded um, in a studio obviously then we couldn't because of um, COVID-19 so it's all been done over Zoom and we've talked a, a lot about how COVID has transformed their working lives and we've talked about what qualities they think they particularly have needed in order to do what they do why they do what they do why they love it what the challenges are I have learned so much as someone who is not a scientist um, and there'll be one podcast released every week from the day of publication i will enjoy listening to that too and no doubt i'm going to learn a lot about science as well thanks so <laughs> much julia <laughs> oh, thank you thanks for listening to in the reading corner with just imagine if you have enjoyed this podcast you can find many more on the podcast section of our website justimagine.co.uk plus via iTunes or SoundCloud or your usual podcast provider. Don't forget to pass the pod and recommend this fantastic free resource to your friends and colleagues.